Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. Good morning. One week until Christmas. Yay. Um, some of you are like, oh, no. Um, we, are, we, we have one more week in our Advent uh, series before Christmas Eve, and we've looked at John 1 every, every week now. We've looked at the Word, Jesus being the Word who became flesh. We've looked at him being the light, light of the world, and as well as the glory of God. And today we're going to look at him being full of grace and truth. So if you are... Able, would you stand? We're going to read John 1, 1 through 18 one more time. All right, here we go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But all, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory is of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The reading of God's word. Let's pray once more. Our gracious heavenly father, we are wholly dependent upon you. The work of your Holy Spirit to give light to our eyes, to warm our hearts that we may see wonderful and beautiful things about the word who became flesh so that what is familiar might once again become so um, transformatively beautiful. Us So change us through your truth and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. May be seated. <clears throat> One thing I think we could all agree with um, this morning is that the world is, really is starving for truth and for grace. Uh, although people seem to be fairly passionate about grace these days, we don't use that word, but we use words like in our culture like love, you know, uh, everybody says, you know, let love be loved, uh, saying just let people love whoever they want to love. We use words like tolerance 
Uh, let people be and do what they wanna be and do and uh, you be you. But in the name of showing grace these days, uh, I feel like our culture's starting to say, well, where's the truth? Where are the boundaries? Uh, it seems like our culture's increasingly saying, it feels like almost like we're like a highway without lines on it or without guardrails, like a, building a nice house on the beach, you know, right by the beach on the sand, but it has no concrete foundation. It seems shaky. Well, at least we can turn on the news and find some truth. Can you imagine if you turn on Fox News tonight and um, you, know, it's, you hear something like, when, in, in other news, Biden did such an excellent job, uh, so full of truth on uh, such and such. And you know, CN, CNN did some great reporting on that. You could trust them. Yeah, unfortunately, trust in the truthfulness of news is at an all-time low since they've been recording it for the last 50 years or so. Seven, only 7% say they have great trust in the media right now. Well, maybe we have, we'll have some presidential uh, primaries and debates next year with lots of truth telling. <laughs> Can you imagine some of the candidates responding to one another? You know, I just like to agree with Nikki over there. She's just always saying what's true. That's a great point, DeSantis, very true. Well said. Well, um, we can agree our culture is lacking truth. But at least they have a lot of grace towards one another, especially when we disagree. Okay, that's officially the most sarcasm I've ever used in a sermon. It's all out. I hope my point is made. The world is starving for truth and for grace, and it's not just in our culture. You and I are starving for truth and for grace. We can feel this in our lives sometimes. Just as much uncertainty, like our lives, the story of our lives are like a highway. We feel like, where are the lines? Cars swerving. Where are the guardrails? I feel like I could go off any moment. Um, as we look towards spending time with extended family, you might feel like, I don't feel a lot of grace right now. Verse 14 says that God the Son was born into the world and he was full of truth and grace. So let's look at this. Why do we need grace and truth? And how does Jesus bring it? So let's look first at truth. Verse 14, as we said, Jesus himself, it says, was full of grace and truth. Verse 17 says, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The word truth there is the Greek word aletheia. It just is simply simple to define. It just means uh, what is real, what is factual. Now, love. Mo I love most movies actually, but don't you love movies that, that begin? You know, it has that little line that comes across the screen, screen that says, "Based on a, a a true story." You know, the movie's gonna be exciting already, but now you, now you're like, you know, wow, this really happened. And the Apostle John, who wrote this book. He was kind of like this. Because see, Matthew used this word aletheia, truth, like one time. Uh, Luke and Mark used it two or three times, but John, he uses it 25 times. He's kind of obsessed with truth. And the reason is, is because he was kind of, he was speaking to a non-Jewish culture like ours, who was just as confused about truth as ours is today. And he's basically saying, read this. And I want you to say, wow. Wow, come and see, this is actually, it's not just a true story, it's about the one who is the truth. 
the world, this world, um, this this would have gotten their attention because no doubt they were pretty confused about truth, just as much as we were then. You might think of when uh, Jesus was, you remember when he was about to go to the cross, he's before Pilate, and he, he tells him, he says, for this very purpose I was born into the world. For this purpose I have come into the world to, you know what he said? Bear witness to the truth. Wow. Jesus actually says, this is the reason I came into the world, to bear witness to truth. And how does Pilate respond? What is truth? Right? He wasn't really asking Jesus that. What is truth? There was just as much confusion then about truth as there is now. One reason for that is because about 400 years before Jesus came, there was a, a, a Greek philosopher named Protagoras. And he wrote a book called Aletheia, Truth. He was a Greek philosopher. He wrote Aletheia. And his bad philosophy was based on bad uh, theology. His theology said, stated, man is the measure of all things. And he says, because of this, truth is not determined by someone or something outside of man. Truth actually comes from within us, from our own perspective. So he said, he quoted this, that things are for everyone what they seem for him to be. And the view that truth is relative to what any person wants it to be has continued today. Um, and even built so much steam in the last few decades. Author Michael Novak said that seeing truth is relative and from within us, he said this, um, he said, seeing truth is relative is the work of the father of lies. There is no such thing as truth, they teach even our little ones. Truth is bondage. Believe what seems right to you. There are as many truths as there are individuals. Follow your feelings, do as you please, get in touch with yourself. Do what feels comfortable. Those who speak in this way do the work of tyrants. See, the problem with this is he knew is that the source of your truth has incredible implications on the way you live. The source of your truth has implications on how you live. For example, my kids and I uh, love this little, this uh, science guy, this YouTuber science guy named Mark Rober. Maybe some of your kids have seen him. He's fun, educational, smart, does all these science experiments. Uh, but the other day, a couple, about two weeks ago, we were watching one of these, and it was on, um, he was doing it on octopuses or octopi or whatever. Um, and, and all of a sudden, he's talking about where, you know, all these fun facts, but all of a sudden he starts talking about where they came from. And he puts up this, uh, this on the screen, okay? And... <clears throat> If you, the octopus is there at the top left and it traces back to it like a slug looking thing. And then, and if you can see us, there's a human being over on the right, bottom right, the guy, you know, in the white shirt, white hair. And if you trace it back all the way, it, you know, it shows that we actually came from a, a, a starfish. Um, now one might say, you know, he's free to believe that truth, right? I would say, um, it takes a lot of faith to believe that we came from a starfish, but you know, hey, if truth is relative, one each to his own. You can believe what you want to. The problem with that is that, you know, this so-called truth of evolution makes many people, like my elderly neighbor who just moved away, believe that there's no purpose in life and that there's no value 
in being a human and that he has no hope in where he's gonna go when he dies. The lack of truth brings confusion to all of life and it impacts how we live. It's like coming across a book that answers all of life's big questions. Imagine you, you get this book and it, it answers what is true about life. It tells you who you are, who you're meant to be, how to find purpose and meaning and happiness in life. It has a storyline, it has an antagonist and a hero. But imagine that much of the book is missing. A lot of the words, every third word is smudged out. Every few paragraphs is missing and some of the, oh, the chapters are even left out. So you take this book and you start filling it in. You put in your own interpretation. You create the plot and the purpose. You create the antagonist and the hero. And guess who you make the hero of your book? You. Doing this book might be a fun activity, but doing this with the story of our lives is so dangerous. Because see, there's a massive problem with, over, uh, with looking within ourselves to define truth and making ourselves a hero. Romans one says that we are prone to suppress the truth by our unrighteousness. In other words, we have a heart that's bent towards making ourselves the king of our story. We're prone to find our happiness in everything else but the God who created us. We tend to fill in the blanks of our story with whatever our sinful heart desires at any given time. And doing this, allowing the heart to define what is true is like trusting your credit card to your six-year-old child or grandchild and saying, you know what, I trust you, go get what you, what you really need. Our hearts were not meant to define our truth. The first sin in the garden began with a distortion of the truth. And every time we sin, every single time we sin, we are distorting some truth and believing some sort of lie in our heart that comes from unrighteousness. Let me give you an example, a biblical example of this. You know, the Pharisees hated Jesus, right? I mean, they hated him. In their heart was unrighteousness towards Jesus. But what are they gonna do of this? They can't just go and do that. He was too popular. So they asked him, tried to trap him with these hard questions. So one time they come up to him and they ask him one of these questions. They say, by whom did you get your authority? Let's see if they could trap him. And Jesus knows they're not really looking for the truth here. And so he says, well, let me ask you a question. By whose authority do you, did, do you think John the Baptist had? You know, where did John the Baptist get his authority? And, and, and Matthew records their thought process. It says, they said, well, if we say from heaven, then, then we'll get shame because everybody will say, well, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, we'll get hurt from the crowd because they do believe him. So they answered, we do not know. <laughs> Which came not from what they believe is true, but came from a heart that wanted to Avoid being shamed or hurt. You see how that works. Let me give you a really simple example. Um, one of the first times I was with my in-laws, I was meeting my in-laws, um, they told me a story about my now wife, and they said when she was really young, really young, she had drawn on the walls some crayon all over the walls. And, and they go up to her, and they said, now Miriam, 
do you know who drew on these walls? And they said, she just looked it up, uh, uh, up at us and said, somebody did it. <laughs> See, if you allow, you know, even when you're young, our heart it knows how to distort the truth from a desire in our heart. If you allow truth to come from within you, it's so often defined and distorted by some desire in the heart to like avoiding pain or being shamed or trying to attain health and happiness. One sad example of this is uh, when I lived in Orlando before this, I used to go to this uh, retired community, 55 plus, it was a mobile home community, so a lot of them were poor and, um, and widowed and, and uh, our church was trying to do ministry there and I would talk to them. And I'd ask them questions about their story and, and um, a lot, so, I remember so many stories I was talking with some of these elderly women and they, said, they would say something like this, you know, I used to believe in God. I used to go to church. But then, um, and then they say some, some, some kind of suffering happened. My, my husband died or we lost all our money or I got cancer. See, their truth was being shaped. What they believe about God was shaped, not by what they think is true, but shaped by their experience, what they felt. Like, well, if God's not good, he must not be true. We as Christians, you and I are still prone to distort the truth and believe some sort of lie in our heart. We do this all the time. Nancy DeMoss wrote a book named, um, called Lies Women Believe. It's applicable to men and women. She points out some lies that we're prone to believe in our heart and then live out accordingly. Let me give you a few examples. Uh, for example, for women, here's a lie you're prone to believe and then live out. Of course, we don't say these things, right? Um, my outward beauty matters more than my inward beauty. For men, my value comes more from what I do and how much money I make. For singles, I have to be married in order to be happy. For married couples, it's my job to, to fix my spouse. That one you definitely don't say out loud. For parents, my children are my number one priority in life. For all, I can thrive without consistent time in the word and prayer. I deserve to make, for God to make me happy and fix all my problems. We would never say these things out loud, of course, but we live like them. I was in the car a few weeks ago, um, and, uh, and I don't know how this works. You know, sometimes your phone just picks up on the, on the car radio, whatever, like AirPlay or something, and just, pl I don't know if it picks something random from your playlist, but it did that on my phone, and it starts playing this song from, uh, named, by Derek Webb I hadn't heard in a while, named I Repent. Great song, I highly recommend it. But um, uh, it says this in the first two lines of the song. It says, I repent, I repent of my pursuit of the American dream. I repent, I repent of living like I deserve anything. I grabbed my phone and I paused it because I immediately, immediately got to my heart and it struck me. It, it brought to mind an issue that my wife and I um, have been having uh, in our marriage for a, a little while and it, we feel like we just can't understand each other in a certain way. And it made me think, I, I think for some reason, some of the anger I feel in those conversations um, comes from, I, from the lie I believe all the time. 
that I deserve certain things. The truth swept in. I mean, what do I deserve? Everything I have is given by grace, by God. I don't deserve anything. It was a sweet conviction. Nancy DeMoss says that what we believe about ourselves, it constantly determines what, how we live. If we believe and act on lies, we will end up in bondage. That's what bondage looks like. And so in our text this morning, Jesus came into the world and he was full of truth. He was full of truth. He didn't just tell the truth, but he says in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way and the the truth. I am the truth. He embodied the truth. And it says in verse 18 that no one has ever seen God, but Jesus has made him known. So as this word makes known means he expounds even the truth about God. He, he unpacks even God. So as one pastor said, if you want to know the truth about God, the truth about the God who created you in the universe, if you want to know what he looks like, look at Jesus. If you wanna know what he thinks, then look at what Jesus thinks about. If you wanna know what God says about life and beauty and marriage and parenting and money, then look at what Jesus says about those things. If you wanna know truth and have the truth give clarity to your life, to fill in the blanks of your story, then look outside yourself. Look to Jesus, who is full of truth. Let me give a few applications of this. I just want you to think for just a moment, do you have an area in your life you feel stuck? Or you feel confused about? Uh, you feel there's an area, maybe a relationship you don't, you feel like there's just a lack of reconciliation. Maybe there's a sin pattern you can't get past, anything like that. I just want, here's some questions I want you to ask about that issue. Think of that area. What potential sinful desires are in my heart? What potential unrighteousness is there that is causing me to suppress truth? And then what lies am I potentially believing in that area? And then what truth from God's word can I replace those lies with? What truth can I replace the lies with? It's, it's simple, but it's, it's, it's not often a pattern that we do in our Christian lives. Let me give you a few examples. Are you ex anxious about your finances? Now, that's not uncommon, especially this time of year. <laughs> A lie you might believe is that God doesn't know about this and he can't do anything about it. And a truth you could believe is in Philippians 4. My God will supply, if we can get it on the screen, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus, in glory in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? Replace the lie with the truth. Do you believe, uh, are you, or maybe you're angry or bitter Maybe someone hurt you. You feel like you can't, you, you can't forgive them. And the lie you might be believing is, it's just better if I, if I hurt them. It'll make me happier to just hurt them. Or maybe you believe the lie that there's no way I can ever have the strength to move towards them. And then here's a truth. These are all truths that I go to sometimes, by the way. This is in 1 Thessalonians 3. It says, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. Because don't you feel like your love tank is so low, you just, like, you just can't drum it up by yourself? And then all of a sudden, a promise from God that says, I can make your love increase and abound. That's the truth. I can give you enough. Or maybe you have a fear of a health issue. It's easy to believe the lie that God is distant or doesn't care. And from Isaiah 41.10, he says, fear not, I am with you. The truth is, 
be not dismayed because I am your God. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's what God's truth said to you. And maybe you're just overwhelmed with life. And thinking about even identifying a lie in that is too overwhelming. <laughs> Here's a truth from 2 Peter 1. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I find this promise so hard to believe, this truth. Really, God, all things, think of that area where you're stuck or that's hard or whatever, that God could give you by his power, grant you all things that pertain to life and godliness? It's not a truth that's easy to believe. But John said in John 8, if you abide in his word, if you replace lies with truth, then the truth will what? It will set you free. It'll set you free. See, we can know the truth. We can, we know the one, we have the one who fills in the missing words and the paragraphs of our story. He is the true hero of our story. He clarifies the lines. He sets up the guardrails on the highway of our life. He is a, the strong foundation to build our life upon. Only the truth will set us free. All right, so he's not only full of truth. Let's look at one more thing. He's full of grace. This is a shorter point because we talk a lot about grace around here. Um, I think it's uh, quite familiar to us. Biblically, it just means the unmerited favor or love of God. But I wanna look at three things about grace from this passage, okay? Three things about grace from this passage. Number one, it's free. We're, it's free. So we're here in the... In the season of Christmas, we're all you know, buying gifts, setting up to receive gifts, and imagine that one of your family members gives you, a, you know, an iPad or something for Christmas. You open it up, good night, this is amazing, an iPad, I, wasn't expe I was expecting a, you know, whatever, a keychain. Um, so nice of you, you're welcome, it's my gift to you. I tell you what though, I do need you to help me clean up after we're done here. Totally fine, that's fine, I, you know, it's great. I'd love to help you clean up. Uh, well, maybe, i tell you what, also, my refrigerator broke down last week. Could you come back tomorrow and help me with my refrigerator? I really need help with that. Well, that's fine, too. i tell you what, also, I'm, my car is not doing well. Could you take me to work every day this week? I wanna save on gas, and I mean, you, go, you can get where I'm going. You can feel that the gift is not a gift because it's not free. You feel like it comes with obligations, right? To be a gift, a gift has to be completely free. You just have to receive it, which is why um, John 1.12 says what it does. What do you do when you give a gift? What do you want them to do? If you give your son or grandchild a bicycle, you just want them to do what with it? Receive it, ride it, find joy in it, right? So in verse 12, he says, to those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, that's all we have to do. But I wanna just for a moment, think about, that doesn't mean that all gifts are easy to receive, right? Um, I heard Pastor uh, Tim Keller one time give this illustration. He said that, you know, imagine you open up a great gift for Christmas and you open up this gift and it's a really nice pair of hearing aids. And in order to receive this gift, you have to admit that you have a hearing problem. Um, if somebody carted in a bunch of iPads right now on a pallet, 
I don't think that those gifts would be hard to receive. But Jesus, when he came a full of grace, it says, so many did not want anything to do with it. They didn't want it. Why? Because to receive his gift of grace, you have to admit you have a, a pretty big problem. Verse 13 shows this problem. It says that no one can become a child of God. No one, you cannot be born into his favor, uh, to, the, uh, to the family of God. You cannot have his favor or his love by being born into a certain family uh, or uh, by trying really hard on your own, even by thousands of good works over all your life, you have to admit that you don't deserve by anything you do to be a child of God. And this is a requirement many, uh, it's just too costly. I'm reading a book by um, a man named Bob Buford. Named, uh, the book is named Halftime. And in it, he tells a story of climbing the ladder of life. He built a huge company. And he amassed a small fortune and he kind of had, you know, just great life. He had a, a, a son in his mid-20s. And one day he gets a call saying that his son had gone missing trying to swim the Rio Grande River. And he tells of going to help with the search and he's walking on a bluff above the Rio Grande looking down um, where they're searching for his son. And he says, this is what he thought as he walked along the bluff. He said, now here's something you can't think your way out of. Buy your way out of or work your way out of. This is something you can only trust your way out of. Bob says in one way, it's terrifying to come to feel the helplessness and come to the end of yourself. But it was that experience that ended up providing what he called the greatest moments of rare insight and grandest gestures of immeasurable grace and joy that he had ever experienced. Such grace only came by coming to the end of himself. And so it is with God's grace. It's free, oh it's free, it's free, it's free. But it requires that you admit that you have nothing to offer. You are completely helpless. There's no way to work or buy or earn God's love and favor. Your situation before God is only something that you can trust your way out of. Of course, the cross is the ultimate way that we see this, because if there's any other way for you to come into the family of God, would he not have done it other than sacrificing his own son like that? So God is calling us all this Christmas to admit our helplessness in order that we might believe and receive Jesus. Verse 12 says that God then gives you the right he says, he gives you the right to become children of God. That word means all, by the authority of God, you now are a child of God so that you may experience his immeasurable grace, having his love and favor all for free. So it's free. Number two, it's full. It's full. It's good to not overlook that Jesus is, is not just, he has grace, but he's full of grace, it says. He's full of grace. Because there's many situations where I think we doubt this in the way we live. Um, I was talking with a man in our church a few months ago about grace. And, you know, he said that he has, he has, he, he tends to have trouble forgiving himself. And I, I asked him, do you believe that Jesus actually died for you? And he says, well, yes, of course I do. And, and I asked, well, do you, 
do you believe that the cross is enough to forgive sin? I said, well, yes, I do. I said, well, do you believe it's enough to forgive your sin? And he paused and he said, no. Now, I can't be too quick to judge because I know I have days that I feel so empty, I feel dry, I, feel, I, feel, I don't feel filled with the spirit. Um, I don't feel like I have enough to be patient with the kids, etc. And then I think of a verse like the uh, second Corinthians 12 where Jesus says to us, uh, you know, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is actually made perfect in your weakness. Do I believe that theologically? Yes. <laughs> but experientially, and the way I feel, no. I just feel weakness sometimes. And so notice in verse 16, I want you to look at this. It says, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. We've received grace upon grace. See, our, our pastors didn't mention that we received truth upon truth. It says grace upon grace. And what, here's what he's wanting you to hear this morning. He's communicating that there's always more grace than you think. When you feel that you're at your worst or you've come to the end of God's grace, there's more grace. You feel empty. Do you feel weak? Do you feel like you don't have enough to be patient with your children or love your spouse in something hard or whatever? There's more grace. There's more grace. There's grace upon grace. It's like having a bank account of grace that never runs out. You simply can't outspend God's grace is what he's saying by your failures or your weakness or whatever. As Romans 5.20 says, where your sin abounds, his grace abounds much more. So just for a moment, think about, is there something really big in your life you can't get past? You just feel like, I, I cannot get past that. It's too big. Something you did wrong, a person you can't draw near to, is it wrong to you or whatever, some kind of circumstance that's causing you really fear and anxiety. If you will be honest about such crevices in your life, if you omit helplessness in those areas, and then you will ask for grace, gosh, God loves, he loves to open up the dam, the doors to pour grace upon grace in that area. He loves to open it up. A.W. Tozer, an old theologian, kind of given an illustration of a deer going to a lake, a massive lake, and a deer, picture a deer going to this massive lake to drink from it. He says, imagine asking the deer this question. He says, have you received from the fullness of the lake? The answer from the deer would be well, yes and no. I'm full from the lake, but I have not received from the fullness of the lake. I did not drink the lake. I only drank what I could hold of the lake. Man, God's grace is not a little trickle coming from the faucet or a little stream. It is a massive ocean of grace and he, he wants it to flow into all the brokenness and the crevices of our lives. It is full. The grace of Jesus is free and it's full and lastly, he wants you to feel it. It's felt. See, in this passage, um, we see this passage, grace, God's grace and love, it, it's not always, it's not just meant to be theologically understood in the, in the head. He wants you to feel it. And I, I got this, I see this in John 1.18. So at first I was like, this is kind of a random verse to end this whole kind of glorious passage with. It talks about Jesus becoming flesh, God sent his son to become flesh, to live and die for us. But then he says, but you know, he's also at the Father's side. I said, well, he's at the Father's side. What does that mean? And Brandon pointed to this maybe a week or two ago, but that word actually means to be at the Father's bosom or his lap. 
Ever think about Jesus being at the lap of God the Father? Why does John want us to know this? And it's this, that for this reason. Because if you receive the free and full grace of God, then you are united to his son, Jesus. And if you are united to his son, Jesus, do you know where you are in one sense? The lap of God. You are ushered into the presence and lap of God. So just as a child goes to the lap of a parent when life gets hard in the world, God, want, God wants you to feel the same love and affection the same protection and care. So, you know, one pastor, um, uh, he tells a story, um, he's in our denomination, he tells a story of receiving this Christmas letter from an old friend, and she told him and his wife that her cancer that she thought she had beat had returned and, and now had metastasized. And she talks in the letter about how her life had been turned upside down, and she gave details of how hard it's been. But then she wrote this in the letter. She wrote this. In some strange way, it's the best and worst of times. I've not felt so close and carried by the Lord in years or so deeply connected to my dear friends. One major truth that shouts to me at this time is the goodness of God. As awful as this cancer is and the company treatments can be, our home has literally been flooded by the goodness of God. You see, truth, she's allowing, in the midst of suffering, allowing a truth to shout to her louder than all the lies. God is good. God is still good. She felt his nearness as almost if this, she's in the lap of God. There's grace upon grace. She concluded her letter quoting this 14th century saint named Julian Norwich. He said this, whatever we may suffer, God has already suffered. The worst has already happened has been repaired. All shall be well, all shall be well, in the manner of things, all shall be well. And I just wanna encourage you, as we head into the last week of this Christmas season, the Christmas story is one in which God came into the world and is full of what we long for most in life, truth and grace. And he lived for you, he died for you, and by admitting our helplessness, and by believing and receiving him, his story becomes our story, the one which his truth and abounding grace lead us into a life where all shall be well. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly Father, uh, in so many areas of our lives, we need the lies we are believing to be replaced by the grace and truth of your word. Help us to go into this week full of hope that you abound in grace and you want us to experience it and feel that grace upon grace. Oh, may it be a hopeful, joyful week as we allow your grace to seep in. To your glory and our good, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.